0: see me what's it all about i want to work for you and i thought you might be able to help me you know what you're getting into hello and welcome to the screen test of time the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for best picture i'm susan raslin
1: i'm david Dahl.
0: and this week we are wrapping up the 1951 nominees with decision before dawn you know, last week I said that this was going to be a movie about how Nazis suck, and it's not as clear <laughs> as
1: that. Yeah, it's a movie about how very occasionally some Nazis didn't suck. It's a movie about an actual honest-to-God good German.
0: Yes. I thought that this movie was good, but it was boring, <laughs>
1: My experience with this movie is I watched it before I read the Wikipedia summary, but then I went to the Wikipedia summary to kind of refresh my memory of exactly what happened because it's boring. And very occasionally we've had this experience before, but I think this is the most acute I've ever felt of, oh, I could have just read the Wikipedia page. Like, literally, everything interesting about this film is mentioned as an interesting thing about this film on the Wikipedia page.
0: And it is two hours long, and it doesn't really need to be. There are some very good performances in this film, none of which are given by basically the lead. Yeah. He is the lead. 45 minutes into the movie, it becomes clear that this is our lead. <laughs> and I would much rather have followed some other characters in this film for two hours
1: (laughs) yeah i think it sort of has the same to a lesser degree this movie is not a fucking nightmare the way battleground was but it has kind of the same problem as battleground which is that it can't quite decide if it's a quasi nihilistic story about the horrors of war or the heroic story of what one man did in world war ii Because, like, at its best, this movie is a travelogue of a German who decided to work for the Americans just to get the war over with because he hates the Nazis so much. Just kind of wandering through the war and having a shit time of it. I
0: mean, he has a specific mission. Yes. But, yeah, a lot of it is just going from one place to another and something almost happens but then doesn't. There's a lot of something almost happens, and it's not even the kind of war thriller where he escapes discovery by the skin of his teeth or anything. It's like, yeah, he meets up with this sex worker who they almost hook up, (laughs) and then they don't.
1: His, like, spy trainer has a crush on him, and they almost hook up, but then she just disappears from the movie. Both of the female, I guess, leads are quite good.
0: Oh yeah, they're great. They're giving great performances.
1: But both of them are just here so that the poster can have a woman on it, you know? In terms of the plot of this film, they both disappear so quickly. The sex worker has more plot to her, is here for a little bit longer, has one really good monologue, but is still off screen within five, ten minutes of meeting her and, like, doesn't really matter anymore after that.
0: Right, and it's unfortunate because she does have a very good monologue and her performance is excellent and she's very sympathetic. I could spend some more time with her. Happy, who is the guy who is on this mission, is just the blandest person I think I've ever watched for two hours. (laughs) Surrounded by people who could be pretty compelling to watch like tiger is rad I want to know what his whole deal is and then he turns out to be an asshole Yeah,
1: I think tiger sucks my dream for this movie is I agree with you that Oscar Warner kind of sucks as happy I think it's just like whatever, but I kind of think that structure can work for a movie I think you could have a quasi grand illusion By just having this kind of nothing character wander through a world populated by more interesting characters. But the movie keeps like head faking back to actually this is the exciting spy mission he's on. And the exciting spy mission he's on is exciting for maybe five minutes of the movie. It's just not very exciting. And he's not very exciting. So just go with that not being very exciting. Go with it being kind of boring to be a spy and that the like slow burn of it is actually what wears you out because that's already what the movie's kind of doing but then it tries to do these shitty chase sequences Or like, oh, he's about to be discovered stuff that happens like six times before he's actually discovered. But
0: also the about to be discovered stuff is definitely not that interesting. And the way that he gets out of it every time is usually just by dumb luck. Yeah. Because there's something that could be done here, right? Where the reason that he keeps getting not discovered is because the Nazis are at the end of the war and it's a mess. Nobody knows what's going on. And it would be easier to be a spy among the end of war Nazis than not because things are breaking down and they know that they're losing. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, they are like historically, we know that that's the case, but they still seem to be very chill about the whole situation.
1: (laughs) I don't know. The more I think about this movie, the more I'm like, this movie sucks. Before I was with you, it's just like this movie is boring. And that's this movie's main problem. But actually, this movie is a boring mess. And like b- the boring somehow is like this layer of boring sand covering up that this movie actually kind of just a fucking disaster. What is this movie about? What are we doing here? Like, what is anyone doing here? <laughs> he is getting one piece of information that matters at the end. Which can be, again, if it doesn't really matter, if this is all just chaos, then that can be a compelling story. But that isn't the story being told here. The story being told here is supposed to be a spy thriller, I think. Mm. But it ends up being this weird travel log of bombed out Europe. Because that's the only thing it's doing successfully, is these good shots of post-war Europe looking bombed all to shit because they are other than that like i kind of don't even want to bother with the plot
0: there isn't really a plot that we haven't already described right like this guy's a prisoner of war he decides that he'll work for the allies and they send him on a mission and he completes it (laughs) barely
1: but dies completing it There's another German who decided to work for the Americans, but was much more mercenary about it than having any ideological reason to do it. And so he, like, turns back to Germany and tries to run away, and the American guy who's introduced as our lead but then disappears for, like, the middle hour and 30 of this movie (laughs) shoots him and Happy helps him back to safety by sacrificing himself With the information of where the 11th something is 11th Panzer Corps, which I think they were the, the, I have no fucking idea what is actually like going on in the war in this movie. I think there's a good movie where that would be true, but this movie, I think wants me to understand what's going on with the war. I just don't. And I don't care to try I think the other two guys are on a mission to help that same cord defect. So Happy's on this like backup mission to make sure where they are when they defect. But then it turns out they're not really defecting and the whole thing is a trap. And so it doesn't really end up mattering what happened with any of this fucking at all. Except that Rennick, the American guy, gets back to safety and kind of likes Germans a little bit better. But you don't actually follow Rennick for almost all of the movie, so you don't give a shit.
0: (laughs) No, in fact, the way that he behaves at the end of the movie made me like him less. So I think what is interesting about this film is its messiness. And I don't, I mean, from a screen test of time perspective, it's... It doesn't. It just doesn't stand the screen test of time. Yeah. But I think what's actually quite interesting to me anyway is that we are less than 10 years out from the end of the war at this point in history, and and this movie is trying to have it both ways. It's trying to say, look, there were some good Germans, and they helped us, but also they were fucking traitors, and they were Nazis before they were traitors, and all traitors are real pieces of shit. So even the one who died for us, still a traitor, still a piece of shit, but not as bad as I had thought. Is sort of what Reddick's position is. Whereas at the beginning of the movie, he's like, "They're all traitors and they all suck."
1: Yeah, I.
0: And it's interesting to me because at this point in history, I mean, so 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 many people who fought in this war are still alive, (laughs) and are the people who are going to movies. And wanting to tell this story that is not just Nazis are bad and wants to have a little bit of nuance, they chicken out, I think is really what the issue is, is that at the end of the film, it's like, okay, well, we don't actually want to say that there might have been good Germans. Happy was the one, and he was still a traitor. They make a point of emphasizing that at the end. And it's like, that guy fucking died to protect you.
1: <laughs> Except the, the guy that emphasizes that is this like random infantry guy. And I think Rinnick looks like he's about to punch him.
0: But he also doesn't do anything or say anything. So that's what I'm saying is like, it's trying to have it both ways.
1: I agree with you, but like, I don't know. To me, this movie is a post-war propaganda exercise in trying to explain why NATO exists, right? Like why we are fighting for Germans (laughs) now.
0: Why Why we're still (laughs) occupying Berlin. (laughs) That
1: and also like why we give a shit about the welfare of the German people after World War II. Is, like, the large-scale propaganda, if we're doing a, like, soft power fucking, uh, uh, what's his name? So, like,
0: it's a justification for the Marshall Plan? (laughs) Yeah,
1: like, if we are doing a propaganda (laughs) read of this movie, I think that's the propaganda purpose of this film.
0: I don't think you're wrong, I just think that's fucking hilarious. (laughs) The idea of Hollywood making a movie that is propaganda- for us doing some kind of foreign policy that doesn't involve bombing people. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, obviously Hollywood makes propaganda shit all the time for, like, oh, we should definitely bomb the Middle East because terrorism. (laughs) Yeah. But this is an interesting one where it's like, yeah, this is propaganda for us helping to rebuild Europe.
1: (laughs) I feel like a better version of this movie, like I say, could deal with happy being kind of nothing his backstory is that his father is a surgeon and he is a medical officer and i think that the most interesting parts of this movie i mean specifically it's just the part where he gets hooked up with that weird colonel and decides not to kill him or i forget the guy's rank
0: oh man and that whole situation for me was the point where i went okay this is just like we're bouncing from situation to situation And never taking the time that they deserve. That's the kind of thing where in Grand Illusion, for example, when they have to spend a lot of time with this higher-up German officer in the castle, there's all these like philosophical conversations. And it's quite good. And this was like, oh yeah, if you give me this shot and it's delayed or it's too much or not enough, I will die. Which gives us like... Chekhov's poisoning (laughs) and then doesn't do it. He just gives him the right amount of medicine and leaves and that's it. And then we'll never see this guy again.
1: Specifically that section has very grand illusion vibes except that it doesn't follow through or do anything interesting. But I also feel like that section is the closest thing to a movie. That section where he is this guy that is wandering through a world where he just wants to help people, and there's literally no action he can take that helps anyone. Every action he takes is a decision to kill somebody oh, that is an interesting moment to be in and to follow someone in and to follow someone who can't make a decision in, to follow someone who's kind of a blank in. Right. But the movie's like, okay, okay, back to the spy stuff. What spy stuff? The whole rest of the fucking movie has been nonsense. Cut all the training shit all the training shit is just there so that you know that they've done their due diligence and this happy guy, you can trust him. He's really devoted. He really wants to help America. And it's like, well, then that makes him wandering through and being torn between these two things. Not interesting at all.
0: Mm. Yes, exactly. Drop
1: us in with him being dropped in. Watch him struggle between the idea of What is going to help the maximum amount of people, and then watching people he's lived his entire life around, be losing a war and dying?
0: Right, like he runs into that woman at one point who was his neighbor, who knows his dad. That doesn't go anywhere. It very much feels like a movie that later we will see something that follows this as its wireframe, but fleshes it out better. And I don't know what that movie is going to be. I don't even know if it was necessarily nominated for best picture, but it does have this feeling of walking up to lines and then getting scared of making any sort of big commitment or saying anything big. And so no big action takes place, right? Because that would tip his hand or give the game away. And instead we just have a character who on paper in the script is really kind of Nothing. Yeah.
1: Like, I understand the impulse to not go like a German spy secretly won the war for us. Like, obviously, don't do that. But because the win, quote unquote, here is so bizarre and nebulous and hastily set up at the end of like, if you get these troop movements, then something, then you get to kill my dad.
0: Yeah, we don't even actually know what it results in. Right.
1: Then you just end up, by the end of this, I was like, Okay, so why would you ever hire a POW as a spy? Like, Tiger is just a disaster on, like, several different levels. But even Happy, it's this huge problem for him that, like, some people in Germany know who he really is. Why would you just not teach an American to speak German? What are you getting out of doing it this way is never established, except for this broad thought experiment of... Can some German POWs be good people?
0: Did you see Inglorious
1: Bastards? Uh, no, actually. That's like the one Tarantino I just never... Oh, yeah, man, it's just the best
0: one, too. I know,
1: but like I j- just didn't.
0: There's plenty of his movies I haven't seen. But of the ones I have seen, that's, I think, the best one. But there is an answer in that film as to why you don't just teach an American to speak German. Which, was that movie nominated for Best Picture, or can we spoil that? <laughs>
1: Um, I think we can spoil that.
0: Oh, it was nominated for Best Picture.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, then I'll find out the answer to that question in eight years or something.
0: (laughs) 2009? So yeah, I think (laughs) that might be a little longer, honestly. I'm not sure. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, obviously there are some issues there. And sending him specifically into areas where he is going to run into people that he knows is a weird choice. Because certainly if you have gone missing from your unit, it has become known to your family who would have talked to their friends (laughs) about being worried about their child disappearing. Yeah. So it does seem like a strange choice to have sent him here. It's, It's kind of a mess. I think the things that are good about it are actually that it is kind of a meditation on whether or not a German POW can be a good person. That's kind of the thing that is good about it, but, like, is that a necessary thing for us to make a movie out of?
1: I'm fine with that being a thing we make a movie out of. My argument is, like, you need to do that more if that's what your movie is about. Because the uncomfortable circle that can't be squared here is that the movie has to let you know in advance that the answer is yes.
0: That is uncomfortable.
1: And therefore you're watching this movie that's questioning, can he, could it be, when like you've done all this shit to establish an act one that, yes, no, firmly, Happy is the single best German alive <laughs> in terms of morally coming around to fighting the Nazis, like he is actually doing it before you get to the part where it's like, now he's struggling with it. Is he? Because the only time we ever see him struggling with it are him going to sleep with these terrible voiceovers of previous conversations where people have been like, you might struggle with this. Yeah. Other than that, I think that's why I really like the stuff with the Colonel so much is it's the only point where in action he is shown to struggle with this at all
0: yes that's true it
1: doesn't last nearly long enough it isn't explored that well but at least that's your fucking movie that's the thing you needed to be doing for the whole movie he
0: starts this relationship with this colonel it is a colonel i don't know it, I, it looks like it yeah. we're gonna call him colonel yeah <laughs> and uh... They come to be trusting of one another, and then he's put in this position where he could or could not kill this guy and then run away with whatever information he gets. That's the other thing, too, is I don't understand why he just leaves out of nowhere. Doesn't he run the risk of being caught? Yes, of course. I mean, we know that. He does run the risk of being caught. But, like, stick around for a few days or something just to, like... Take the heat off of yourself? Yeah. I guess he does need to meet them at a certain point.
1: This also confused me, and then it confused me in a different way. Somebody had said, like, you've got five days for this mission, so I guess he runs off for the five days thing. But then he's not supposed to meet up with them. He's supposed to have some other...
0: Yeah, he's only supposed to meet up with them if things go wrong.
1: Yeah... I guess that's what the checkpoint bridge scene is. God, it's just all the spy shit is so confusing. And it's not exciting in any way.
0: And it's not confusing in the way that people said, like, the first Mission Impossible was really difficult to parse. Yeah, no. Which I didn't find to be true. But it's not that, like, oh, who's on whose side and who's playing who against anyone else. It's just, like, not clear.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The thing about that first Mission Impossible movie, and basically every Mission Impossible movie, frankly, is that the stated explanation for why everyone is doing everything in terms of like the macro plot never makes any goddamn sense. However, Every Mission Impossible movie also has people very clearly in a micro sense describing to you the next thing that needs to happen is we need to go here and do this thing in this room with these problems. Yes. And all of that stuff is crystal fucking clear in every Mission Impossible movie. Yes. And in this movie I never know where anyone is going, why they're going there, how they're planning to get there, how the plan has gone wrong, what their backup plan is. Every scene I am born anew to figure out what the fuck is happening <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> and
0: <laughs> yeah uh, that that makes sense it's weird because i hesitate to say don't watch this movie because in a way i watched it twice because i kept having to go back to figure out like had this film told me why we were where we were now oh no okay not at all um Cool.
1: Yeah, no, don't watch this movie. Just read the Wikipedia page. Like, now as never before. (laughs) You could bullshit to anyone that you have seen this entire movie.
0: Uh, I don't think you could, because the fact that you can recount all of this in order as if it made sense would give it away. That you'd never (laughs) seen it.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, fair point. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some really incredible effects. Here, not even really effects it's the fact that they actually filmed this in Germany in a bunch of buildings that were bombed out is really impressive I guess some of the scenes were actually overseen by the occupying US military <laughs> which is a really fucked up thing to have imposed on the citizenry of a country who had just undergone this like not 10 years ago But it is impressive to look at where you're like, oh, shit, there's a bunch of bombed out buildings and planes flying over and bombing stuff. I would say don't watch this movie. And I guess like, yeah, I don't even know what what score do you give this?
1: Yeah, my immediate instinct is three. But it's not quite like tilt. It's just like, yeah, what do you give a movie that's like all cinematography Well, it's not all cinematography because there are the good performances by some of the non-main cast, but they're like performing in this different, better movie, you know? For brief moments, you're allowed to escape into another better film than this one when another actor is on screen.
0: Yeah, it's weird because there's a lot of really good movies that it feels like are taking place on the other side of this film. Yeah. Like, there's the movie where Tiger is this piece of shit who obviously eventually is going to betray them, but they put their faith in him. And he's this weird guy who used to work at the circus and is a total mercenary jerk. There's the movie about this woman who lost the father of her children and her kids, who's now reduced to survival sex work and works in a tavern where everybody's like fuck it the war is basically over and we're doomed let's get wasted all night there's the movie about the french girl at the beginning who apparently develops a crush on happy and why she is torn about the fact that she has feelings for this german given what she has endured under german occupation there are so many other better films that Happy is the B-tier character in their movie. (laughs) But unfortunately, we're following him.
1: Yeah, I think that's why, like, my reaction to this film turned to anger over the course of this recording. It's like, (laughs) yeah, the movie does keep introducing these interesting characters and interesting themes. And then just pulling the football away from you at the last moment. You don't actually get to explore any of that cool stuff because we're back to happy now. And it sucks.
0: But I can see where tilt comes from, because that is it, right? Why do you keep dangling these interesting stories in front of me and then yanking them away? Uh, yeah, I mean, three? I'm tempted to say four, because it's, you know, pleasantly atmospheric and pretty, but I'm okay with three as well.
1: Yeah, I don't think I can go up to a four. I just, like, viscerally rebelled (laughs) from giving this movie a four.
0: (laughs) Totally fine. (laughs) Totally fine. Yeah. Interestingly enough, this is by the same director as the Snake Pit, and that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, a couple of flashy scenes here, some interesting stuff, but kind of, like... When you look back at the plot, you're like, wait, what is anyone doing? What are we talking about?
0: Right. Like it's depending so much on inspiring emotion in the audience that it completely scraps any sort of plausibility in the narrative.
1: (sighs) I'm pretty comfortable with don't watch this movie and we've got to talk about the 51 awards because this is our last movie of the year
0: yeah so uh i think they picked wrong they picked american in paris and i think they chose wrong
1: yeah i think it's streetcar
0: yeah i think i think it's unquestionably a streetcar as hard as that movie is to watch as far as What is an excellent film? It's kind of the only one in this year, to be honest.
1: I do have to say, I think An American in Paris is the second best movie on this list.
0: I will concede that. But it is
1: well below Streetcar. Oh, I already blocked out A Place in the Sun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I definitely had a moment of like, what was the other movie in this year? And hilariously, I feel like that's the third best film in this year. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe tied with Decision Before Dawn.
1: Yeah, with Quo Vadis' worst.
0: Yeah, Quo Vadis was just fucking terrible. Yeah. I hesitate to say not a good year because Streetcar is excellent. But it's not a good year because everything else is really kind of shit.
1: Clearly the Academy kind of had the same reaction to Streetcar we did, which is like, this movie is undeniably great and what a fucking bummer. And I'm so tired now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I that feels like pretty directly why it didn't win, right? Which is not a good reason for something to not win, but is at least kind of an understandable reaction to have to that movie. Not everything good has to be like a feel-good story about two kids falling in love and having fun. But like, it is a real bummer when it's a movie that is a straight bummer and then four bad movies.
0: I feel like surely in 1951, there had to have been something else that was good in theory yeah but who knows maybe this was the best that they had to offer uh in any case it should have gone to streetcar an american in paris is not very good and everything else in this year is unwatchable yeah as far as i'm concerned
1: (laughs) oh the african queen came out this year
0: Yeah, I've never actually seen it all the way through because I found Catherine Hepburn to be so insufferable in the first 20 minutes that I had to turn it off. Yeah,
1: I can get behind that, actually.
0: Like, not her as a person, but her character is just a monster. (laughs) And I think that's the point, is apparently she becomes better or whatever as time goes on, but I didn't care enough to stay invested. Yeah. But... Walt Disney's Alice in Wonderland came out this year and it is better than every movie on this list. So, oh,
1: I it's um okay. Um I it's better than a lot of movies on this list. I will say that without any hesitation, but I do think that movie is kind of a disaster in the back half. You know what? That still puts it above a lot of these movies that were also disasters in the front half.
0: It still puts it above 4 <laughs> out of 5. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, maybe 51 just wasn't the best year for movies, and that's that's fine. So, next week we are starting 1952 with The Winner, which is The Greatest Show on Earth.
1: Okay. I'm excited that High Noon is in this year and I don't know. I I guess I'm excited to watch The Original Moulin Rouge, which I've never scene
0: uh, i'm excited to watch it just because i want to see what they do with it i have a feeling it's going to be terrible i
1: would agree but in
0: a campy enjoyable way yeah but yeah we won't get there until the end of the 52 nominees so Tune in next week to find out if The Greatest Show on Earth is, in fact, the best movie of 1952.
1: Well, I mean, we won't know that for four weeks after.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's fair. It's directed by Cecil B. DeMille with Charlton Hester and Jimmy Stewart. So it's probably going to be interesting, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, sorry. I just got sapped of all enthusiasm thinking about... This movie again, honestly, like it's, it's like trying to get its hooks back into me. So let's get, out, <laughs> let's get out of here before it does.
0: All right. Yes.
1: Uh, until then. Um, this was a movie. It's getting me, Susan. We have to go. Yeah, we, we, got gotta, gotta we gotta go. go. We
0: gotta get out of here.
1: <laughs> Bye, everyone. Right,
0: goodbye, everybody. Hopefully
1: I will see you next week.
0: Save yourselves.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye.